Yes, very, very relevant today. Woo! Today is Friday, the 28th of August, the Feast of St. Augustine. Welcome to episode number 121 of the Barnhart Podcast. This is Mark Doherty sitting in for Super Nerd. And with us again today for a very special episode is Dr. Edmund Matza. And we will be discussing two courses that he will be conducting upcoming, several classes of each, a very exciting outline that has already been published. And uh, we're here to talk about several topics to be covered within. Hello, Dr. Matza. Hello, Anne. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, can I just say right off the bat, Mark, when you said a very special episode, I totally flash back to like every 1980s sitcom that had a deeply traumatic, very special episode. And guys, that's that's not what this is going to be. This isn't going to be the different strokes about child molestation or anything like that. that that's thanks, a, thanks that's, be to God. Thanks be to God. That's a, that's a normal Barnard podcast. <laughs> it's terrible. We laugh, but... Um, no, this is this is actually going to be, and I'm I'm really excited about this. This is going to be the Ronco info infomercial, the Ronco pasta maker infomercial, because that was the best one for Dr. Matz's upcoming beginning in September. He has two courses that are coming up, and we want to give everybody a little taste of what you know the Dr. Matza academic experience is like and it's going to be absolutely fascinating because we're talking about on the feast itself saint augustine talking about basically earthly politics is that correct dr matza we're going to be talking about so many things uh people are People are going to get their money's worth, I'll tell you that. Hey, hey, <laughs> which is absolutely nothing. But, 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 hey, let me say, hands up, total gratitude to all of my donors. We make a little joke about you get what you pay for, but I have lots of donors who, who um, keep this thing rolling, and um, God bless all of you. That was just a joke that I made. But, yeah, we're... we're Hopefully, my objective is that you already have people enrolled for your course that starts. What's the first day? What's the first class? September. So we're uh, we're offering church history starting Tuesday, September the fifteenth. Okay. And we're offering uh, world history starting Wednesday, September the sixteenth. Mm-hmm. And I'm enrolled for both. I'm gonna I'm gonna be there. Of course, I'm not gonna be talking at all. Not at all. I'm there as a student. Um, but you have multiple people enrolled for that and hopefully we can get some more because, you know, the beauty of this online situation is, hey, the more the merrier. There's, there's basically no limit to it. So if you want to utilize this time, well, one of the things that you can do is we can all brush up on our medieval church history, which is totally germane to what's going on now, right, Dr. Matz? I mean, with all this Pope, anti-Pope, nobody knows what's going on. Isn't this exact, not exactly, but this is very mm-hmm. similar to what they were going through in the Middle Ages, right? Yeah, I mean, um, multiple Popes, plague, uh, 
And you know, mm. with the with the mar- with the Marxists that are in the streets and with the and the and the modernists in the church, what they have in common today is they want to rob you of your Catholic history. Mm-hmm. They want to erase it. And so the best antidote to that is to learn it. That's right. You can't defend yourself if you don't even know your own history, which is why all of these millennials and all these children are getting absolutely steamrolled, steamrolled by this this Marxist Masonic um, coup that is that is literally going on right now. And by the way, just as just as a little aside, I, I'm sure the listenership is very interested and wants to check in with both of you. Um, Mark, are you okay? Dr. Matza, are you okay in your particular locations? Mark, you want to go first? Uh, I'm okay. I'm uh, in a in an area, I'm in a very urban area where uh, something could certainly go down. Mm-hmm. I am uh, well prepared, but probably not as well prepared as I think I am. I, I think Probably a lot of people are. I don't think I don't think anybody is, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what you uh, what if a if a normal person saw my arsenal and my uh, armory and my ammo, would they think that I was preparing for something that couldn't possibly be uh, happening or or to come upon us? Well, maybe six months ago they would have thought that, but I don't know if they're going to think it right about today. Right. So, um, long story short, I had a situation roll up to, uh, within a mile of my house back in during the June mm-hmm. chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, could well have to deal with something, and we'll see if it happens. Okay. Dr. Matzer, are you okay? Yeah, I've been blessed so far, but uh, you never know. Things could break out anywhere. Are you prepared? Uh, spiritually or physically? <laughs> Ah, ah, good point. Good point. And let's leave it at that because I think we all know the answer. So, Saint Augustine, how about that Saint Augustine? How uh, what's our what's our entree into this, Dr. Matza? Well, you know, it's he's very appropriate for what's going on right now. Uh, do you guys remember the the M Night Shyamalan movie Signs? Absolutely. Yep. Of course. Yep. Well, he totally plagiarized uh, St. Augustine's City of God in, in what I think is the best scene of that movie where uh, Mel Gibson, uh, who's a, a priest who's lost his faith, is sitting Anglican, on the sofa. Anglican priest. Anglican ah, priest. Episcopalian. Gotcha. Episcopalian. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And he's sitting sitting on the sofa watching these you know horrible news reports about the end of the world and aliens taking over. And um, <clears throat> he's sitting there with his brother, um, Merrill, and that's played by, how do you say his first name? Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix. Yep. And um, and and jo- Joaquin Phoenix says to him, you know, I think this, people are saying this could be the end of the world. And, and what do you think? And and Gra- the character, Graham Hess, played by Mel Gibson, basically en- enters into a soliloquy, which is straight off the pages of uh, St. Augustine. So if you'd like, we could, we could start with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fascinating. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. th- that's something that I didn't uh, – I've seen that movie several times. That's something that I never caught on to. Me neither. Me neither. Filmed in your uh, old neck of the woods there, Mark. Uh, yes, M. Night is a Philly boy. <laughs> ah, <laughs> okay. That's where all the cornfields came from. Okay. All right. Yeah. So yep. for all those – for all those people in the world that are, you know, 
<clears throat> fearing for their lives and safety right now. They're in kind of a similar situation to, you know, what was going on in the movie. So Graham has played by Mel Gibson says, you know, people break down into two groups when they experience something lucky. Group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence, sees it as a sign, evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. Group number two sees it as just pure luck, a happy turn of chance. Sure, there are people in group number two looking at those 14 lights in the sky in a very suspicious way. For them, the situation is 50-50. It could be bad. It could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. Mm -hmm. And that fills them with fear. Yep. So that's the situation, right? If you're an atheist, if you're a secularist, and, you know, it hits the fan, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> then it, either we get it done or it's curtains, you know, mm -hmm. it lights out. But if you're in group number one and you think somebody up there is looking out for you, well, that fills you with hope. Now, let me go, go back to Mel Gibson's line here. He says, but there is a whole lot of people in group number one and they see those 14 lights and they're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever is going to happen, there will be someone there to help them. Mm -hmm. And that fills them with hope. So what you have to ask yourself is, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way. Is it possible there are no coincidences? Mm -hmm. Now, I, take, I say this is straight out of St. Augustine's City of God because St. Augustine lived at the time of the fall of the Roman Empire in August of the year 410. In fact, this might be the very anniversary this week. Um, in August of 410, the barbarians actually sacked the city of Rome. And it was the first time in 800 years that an enemy army had breached the walls of the city. Uh, and they looted and they raped and they pillaged, you know, kind of like Portland. Um, and then... Or Kenosha. Um, or Kenosha. <laughs> Good grief. Right. Yeah, right. God help us. But yeah. um, now actually, the, the devastation could have been worse because these barbarians were actually, we'll get into this in my course, they were actually Aryan Christian heretics. But that's another story. But... Still, they were barbarians, and so they pillaged and whatnot. And mm -hmm. the, the populace blamed the Trump supporters. No, they, they blamed <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they blamed the Christians for this. Of course they did. You see? Yep. <laughs> and the reason for this is because uh, almost exactly 100 years earlier, in the year 312, uh, Constantine became the first Christian emperor of Rome, and he legalized Christianity. And he, actually, he granted freedom of religion to everybody, but it, it's the Christians who benefited from it because mm -hmm. for 300 years they were persecuted. And again, we're going to talk about this in the course. So for, for about 100 years, uh, the Roman Empire, at taxpayer expense, had been worshiping Jesus and promoting the Catholic Church. So, of course, when, when uh, the barbarians sacked Rome, everybody blamed uh, the Christians for this. But there was one person who answered them and answered them very eloquently, and that is our friend Augustine. He was a bishop at that time in North Africa in a city called Hippo, 
and he uh, he basically released what's called the City of God. It's a very long book. It's a very deep book, and I'll just I'll just read to you from what he says here. He says, and again, think Mel Gibson in Signs. Accordingly, two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly city by the love of itself, even to the contempt of God, the heavenly city by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. In the former, in a word, glories in itself, you know, kind of like the DNC, right? Uh, The latter in the Lord. For the one seeks glory from men, but the greatest glory of the other is God and the witness of conscience. The one lifts up its head in its own glory. The other says to its God, thou art my glory and the lifter of mine head. The one delights in its own strength, represented in the person of its rulers. But the other says to its God, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. So. There you got it. You got to ask yourself, which group do you fall into? Right? Right. And in a way, the well, not in a way, uh, the entirety of City of God is summed up with uh, Gibson's uh, lines right there. I mean, it really is. That's the dichotomy. And, uh, you know, I think there are, if you have faith, which is an infused virtue, and you have hope, which is an infused virtue, that you're it's not just the good things that happen to you it's also the bad things that happen to you that you look at that you reflect upon in the light of faith and in the light of hope so we all know that the suffering is there for us to learn from and to utilize as a tool to unite to the cross and bring us closer to god so everything has to be viewed in that light or else you're going to view it you're going to be in group two Exactly. And, you know, I've written in the years past about the horrific Protestant heresy of the rapture and how just unspeakably damaging this is to these Protestant schismatic heretics. And and I use the word schismatic in the in the actual sense of the word, which means you you reject the vicar of Christ as the vicar of Christ. You reject the papacy. Um, and, you know, go back to our previous podcast with Dr. Matza and why I started using the term vicar of Christ and, and use the term papacy secondarily. But rejecting Peter qua Peter, um, that is Protestant schism and heresy at its, at its foundation, which then leads to a rejection of the Eucharist and a, basically a rejection of basically everything else. As we're seeing with Jerry Falwell Jr., a, a very good example of this. Um, but the point I wanted to get back to is that Americans especially even Catholic, even trad Catholic Americans have an extraordinarily difficult time conceiving of a world without the possibility of America, not just, not, not only as, a, as an extant entity on the world stage, but as a superpower or even the superpower. And so we get into all kinds of difficulties with Americans who have tied up America with the church, 
with our Lord. And boy, I mean, it's not that we don't love our homeland, which is actually a virtue according to the catechism. You should love where you were born. However, however, you should not tie up your homeland with the notion of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his holy church. If you start mixing those things together, you get into trouble very quickly. And it seems to me that St. Augustine and what Dr. Matza has to say about St. Augustine is, is extraordinarily helpful in clearing all of that up. Thank you, Ann. Yeah, I mean, um, people were freaking out when the Roman Empire was, you know, when the city of Rome that hadn't been sacked in 800 years was suddenly overrun. Right, the glo- the global superpower that they couldn't conceive mm-hmm. of without, yeah. Even, uh, even St. Jerome, uh, writing from his hermitage in Bethlehem, uh, says, I was so stupefied and dismayed that mm-hmm. day and night... I could think of nothing but the welfare of the Christian community. And he says, um, I was wavering between hope and despair and was torturing myself with the misfortunes of other people. Mm -hmm. But when the bright light of all the world was put out, or rather when the Roman Empire was decapitated, Mm -hmm. the whole world perished in one city. Um, So even, you know, people that are well grounded, it it, kind of shook their world, you know. But the important thing is, again, to quote St. Augustine, he says, perhaps Rome is not perishing. Perhaps she is only scourged, Mm. not utterly destroyed. Mm -hmm. Perhaps she is chastened, not brought to naught. Uh, It may be so. Rome will not perish if the Romans do not perish. And perish they will not if they praise God. Perish they will if they blaspheme him. So just... Substitute the word America for Rome there. But but can I say, it's important to make the distinction that America is not Rome. Ro- Rome, is is- sti- Rome is still Rome, and America is something separate and apart was was connected, and let's we can say it's open for debate. And this will this will be debated for centuries, assuming there's no you know supernatural intervention and the Immaculate Heart of Mary happens and all of this is completely squared away. If there are still academics who are sitting around debating these things, the extent to which the United States of America, founded in rebellion from a lawful authority, founded by Freemasons, etc. I mean, I don't need to go through. Everybody knows the details. Everyone knows the details and what has gone on and what America has done and has done behind the scenes in particular for the last hundred years. This will all be debated. Was it? Was it good? Was it bad? What's the net? But it's not Rome. The church, the, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, does not rise and fall based upon the United States of America. The United States of America is a phenomenon in time. And people, Americans especially... And I'm, I mean, I can testify to this. Mark, I'm sure you can testify to this. Dr. Matza, I was born in 76. So I'm in elementary school and junior high school and all of that all throughout the 80s. I mean, we were basically taught that this is a, this is a divinely instituted 
paradigm, the United States of America, the, you know, Jefferson, um, Jefferson, who else, Hamilton, Franklin, all of these people, they were essentially deified, but, uh, but uh, not deified, but sanctified, sanctified. And the truth is that these were, these were very, very troubled men. And so we have to have, we have to have a, a realistic assessment of this and not be just, you know, face in the dirt subservient to a paradigm. We have to be realistic about this and the need for the United States of America to be converted to Christ and the social and the social kingship of Christ. Right. I I lived in, I lived in Canada for a few years and we were discussing the dynamic of the uh, American education system as it relates to patriotism. And my, uh, my, my friend put it succinctly when he said, well, of course, you're taught to piss red, white, and blue from the first grade. That's right. Kindergarten. Kindergarten. Yeah. Pledge of, Pledge of Allegiance, hand over the heart, every morning, every day in kindergarten. I went to afternoon kindergarten. And, and one can say, okay, why not? Why is that a bad thing? The catechism says patriotism is good. You should love where you're from. Entire questions of nationalism. And this, it needs to be ordered. It, it needs, just to, needs be ordered. to be ordered. Yep. And the the entire notion of the United States of America as a melting pot. That's an, that's another podcast. We can't even get down that rabbit hole. Is that is that doomed to failure? Does that have failure baked into it? Can people from every nation of the earth, which the United States contains, can people from every nation on earth and every background on earth live in peace for any sustained amount of time this this is a legit question this is a legit question but that's well, another one, episode it's another episode the the one question that's been answered is that multiculturalism in which it's not a melting pot but each group keeps all of their their customs and right. you know have divided neighborhoods and things like that if you've ever been to canada or to europe or you know that's that question's been answered, and it's a failure. It can't be done. The melting pot is more nuanced, and people adopting their new country as their new country, literally, mm-hmm. that's that's a more nuanced question. And we just come off. Um, um, when we're recording this, it was just the other night that Melania Trump delivered a beautiful speech for the the Republican convention, such as it is, whatever it is. But, you know, I'm a fan of her. And, you know, automatically there were people like Bette Midler getting on social media and saying, this illegal alien speaking with an accent, blah, blah, blah. Bette Midler is one of the far, farthest left Hollywood celebrities that you can find. And look at what comes out of her mouth immediately is basically an intrinsic racism and an intrinsic uh, nationalism, which they claim to despise. Melania Trump, an illegal alien who speaks with an accent. I mean, how much more? Melania Trump is a citizen. She's a naturalized citizen. And my girl speaks six languages, four of, uh, three of which are Slavic. So, Bette Midler, you just need to sit your butt down. Um, how many languages do you speak? You know, it it all bubbles to the surface from the right, from the left, everybody. It's 
it, the debate is, is this a sustainable paradigm? So shameless plug, yeah. uh, I am going to address these issues in my course. Oh, um, <laughs> oh is, is it my 20 bucks in the mail, Dr. Motz? <laughs> <laughs> so because the thing of it is, Augustine lived at a time when the Roman Empire had an immigration problem. Mm. And we're going to get into this. Um, these Visigoths that I mentioned at the opening who sacked the city of Rome in the year 410 mm -hmm. uh, after, you know, sieging the city and starving everybody for weeks, uh, they originally were uh, allowed to settle into the empire because they were under pressure from an even worse group of barbarians, if I can use that expression, uh, the Huns. Perhaps mm. you've heard of a guy named Attila mm. the Hun. Mm -hmm. uh, and they lived on the border of the Roman Empire along the Danube River, and they sought um, admittance into the empire for protection against the Mongols. Um, but, but these guys were not really, the Visigoths were not really that civilized. And another, and it was also a religious problem. They were, as I alluded at the outset, they were not Catholics. They were uh, proselytized by Aryan heretics, oh, I didn't and know so they, yeah. yeah, so they were kind of like Jehovah's Witnesses. They didn't, or Mormons. They didn't believe in the Trinity, uh, and we'll get into that, you know, either now or later. But my point right now is to, to speak to what you were just talking about: is that can, is it didn't it didn't work for the Romans? Okay, taking in uh, non-Romans into the empire did not work. Taking them into the army did not work no. because Alaric the, the the chieftain of the barbarians, his name was Alaric, he actually served as a lieutenant in the Roman army. Mm -hmm. um, so the, uh, America can learn some lessons from this. And I just meant to point out that earlier when, when I gave the quote from St. Augustine, when he said, perhaps Rome is not perishing, he wasn't talking about the Roman Catholic Church. He was talking about his patriotic homeland. Right. And in that sense, we can make a comparison between, you know, America and Rome in the sense that, well, Augustine put it this way. He said, you know, it shouldn't surprise you that Rome is falling apart because if what God has made will one day come to an end, you know, this whole world is going to, you know, come to a crashing end one day, so much sooner will the work of Romulus, you know, Romulus was the legendary founder of, uh, of mm -hmm. Rome. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if what, if, if, you know, God made the universe and one day that's going to reconfigure itself. Then what man has made is, is going to come to an end quite sooner. So, uh, again, it's all a matter of perspective. We, or as uh, Mark said earlier, order. You know, our first loyalty is to God and then our, and then our next loyalty is to our country and family. Yep. Yep, indeed. And that, and that really goes back to something that was said at the – something you said, doctor, at the, at the top, which is answering the question – and the answer is obvious – is it more important to be prepared spiritually or materially? And of course, it's, it's eternally, literally, eternally mm. more important to be spiritually <laughs> prepared. And I really see this all coming together, just the timeliness of all of this coming together, your, the, um, the, the courses that we're talking about here, and uh, just being better educated and better, better prepared to understand, not even spiritually, but just from a mental perspective. People are going to see shit go down that they never thought could happen in their lifetimes. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's already happening. It's already happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And this is only going to spread and it's only going to get worse. And, you know, 
I hate to be I hate to be just completely negative and completely awful, but guys, a lot of people are saying, well, this all pivots on the election. No matter what happens in the election, if it's fairly contested and Trump wins, if the if the votes are actually counted and Trump wins, the um the enemies will go to full full war. And that that is from the retarded 19-year-old Antifa idiots in the street all the way up to Bill Gates, George Soros, all of them. It will be full-on war if the votes are fairly counted and Trump wins. If Biden wins, it's over. It's also over because you've got President, I can't even say her name because as, as Super Nerd pointed out in the last Barnhart podcast, her first name is literally the name of a Hindu demon. We should not say her name. Harris will be grandfathered into the presidency however long she lasts, whatever that is. She's she's not fit. She's not fit to be the president. Obviously, that's going to be a puppet situation, and it's going to be over. No matter what you do, it's going to be... Oh, and, and Biden has promised that if he wins, he's going to put the whole thing under lockdown again, which will completely, totally destroy the economy and will stimulate, again, civil war because people will be literally starving to death. There's... I don't mean to be horrible, awful, super negative, blah, blah, blah. At this point, the way the chessboard is set, without supernatural intervention, without our Lord coming in and dropping another queen on our side on the board, um, this thing does not resolve without, without civil war. You've got to get ready. You've got to get prepared. You've got to understand that when absolutely horrible stuff starts happening, and people start dying, and people you know start dying, you have to have your head on straight and, and not lose your faith. I mean, we're already seeing people, trads, who are talking about, well, I didn't sign up for this, this is all BS, God's a jerk, blah, 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 I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, that right there, right there, that's a sign of a person who is completely unsound. Um, saying, I didn't do anything wrong, I don't deserve this. We all deserve hell. What the hell are you talking about? We don't deserve this. We've been, ki- we've been killing babies. We've been tolerating manifestations of sodomy. We've been doing divorce, remarriage, and not saying a word about any of this. We, and, and oh, by the way, a little thing called original sin. We all deserve hell. Anyone for whom the words, I, I don't deserve any of this, for, them, for that to pass out of their mouths is indicative of massive, massive unsoundness and massive problems. We deserve all of this and much worse, and it's going to get worse. And if you don't have your head on straight about this, just like we started talking about the people with the rapture, the Protestants with the rapture, what happens, what happens when, hell, when hell breaks loose in the United States of America? And I mean really breaks loose. And these people are saying, well, why haven't I been raptured? Oh, it must all be a lie. I mean, come on, you've got to have your head on straight. Mark, go ahead. Well, you've got, uh, from both a material standpoint and a spiritual standpoint, you've got a little over two months Because all of the violence is going to escalate. We are going to get to Election Day, and there will be no result. Both sides have already – you can see it right now. There is not – neither side is going to concede. No matter what happens, no matter how close or far apart the apparent vote is or the apparent electoral count is – 
there's not going to be a result and the ensuing chaos in November and December if you haven't thought about that you need to start right now yeah absolutely Dr. Matza, what do you think? What does St. Augustine, Augustine have to say about all this? Well, St. Augustine was no stranger to sin, and St. Augustine was no stranger to violence within the church and within civil society. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just hit all three of those things here. Um, for example, when he died in the year 430, uh, the, the barbarian vandals were at the gates of the city of Hippo. Gee, I wonder what they were into. Uh, hmm. That's right. We get our modern word vandalism mm-hmm. from this uh, barbarian tribe that uh, crossed the Mediterranean and conquered Roman North Africa. Um, thankfully, they did not burn the writings of, uh, of St. Augustine. And so uh, we're very fortunate to possess five million words that he wrote <laughs> uh, without a typewriter or, or computer or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that he dealt with terrorism Within the church, there was a, um, a, schis- a schismatic group called the Donatists. Mm, talk about the Donatists. Um, yes, very, so, very relevant today. Woo. A little bit about the Donatists. Um, basically, you know, after the persecution of the church was over, there were certain priests who had apostatized and who had, you know, given over Bibles to be burned and whatnot, right? Offered incense to Caesar. Under, under coercion, right? Under threat of death, yeah. these people exactly. apostatized, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the last, and again, we'll, we'll get more into this in the course. And by the way, just a reminder, if people want the information on the course, they can go to uh, edmundmaza.com. Uh, there's more information there. We're running a special right now. If people register before uh, September 2nd, they can actually get both classes for uh, 450 mm-hmm. rather than each class for 300. So I uh, just want to plug that. But the important thing about, about the Donatists is that See, one, one crisis leads to another. You see, the Emperor Diocletian, around the year 300, did a savage persecution of Christians within the empire. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of like the Obama, you know, uh, executive order about, re- you know, religion and, and, and the Obamacare. Um, except with, except ser- with beheading of, of, <laughs> po- right. of post-born people, not just pre-born people, but beheading right. of post-born people. Yes. And so, um, long story short, it, 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 you had a lot of, you know, clergy and laity who um, had, under coercion, apostatized. And by the way, I should just throw in here, this is something Father Gruner used to talk about. Mm. It's very important that we try to prevent this Marxist takeover from happening, because if the Marxists take over, and if they force you, you know, whether it's the Muslims or the, or the Marxists, if they force you to, to deny Christ, you're, you're, you're not allowed to de- deny Christ even at the point of a gun. Yep. Uh, you're, you're, you're playing with your salvation. You know, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Yep. And how many Catholics are going to be prepared to do that? I mean, obviously, it's the grace of God that helps us at that point. But if you haven't been faithful in little things, how are you going to be faithful in a big thing like that? Right. So Amen. We, yep. we want to avoid that situation if possible. But so long story short, you had many clergy and laity who had sinned, they had apostatized, and they're, you know, obviously we just talked about the mitigating circumstances, but other clergy did not want them to be readmitted to the church, to be bishops and priests again. Uh, it was like, you know, one strike, you're out. Um, and basically it's denying the power of confession of the sacrament of penance. So 
um, they were called Donatists, and they basically, you know, held on to certain Catholic churches, you know, the, the physical churches, and refused to give them up. And and then they had this sort of uh, quasi-jihadist uh, wing to them that went around um, terrorizing Christian uh, Catholic churches. And so this was the environment in which St. Augustine was living as a, as a Catholic bishop, trying to, you know, teach, govern, and sanctify and then having uh, terrorist acts take place inside his churches and, mm -hmm. and Catholics being killed by Donatists. And um, so it was what I'm trying to say here uh, is that St. Augustine was no stranger to what we may be what we're, we're already witnessing and what could get even worse. And can I just jump in here? I think a very important point to make is that if you got in a time machine and went back in time and encountered any random Donatist in the street and asked them, are you Catholic? Are you a member of Christ's church? Every single one of them would swear up and down that they totally, totally were. And yet they were murdering the true Catholics. They were murdering them. This is basically what we are, you know, charging at 100 miles an hour into right now. You've got Karens and churches that are, that are almost to the point, it's just now starting, but it's almost to the point that there are Karens in these Novus Ordo churches who, who will say that people who do not wear the Masonic burqa into the church should be charged with attempted murder. This has already started um, with politicians, but it's very rapidly going to come into the churches. And what did our Lord say in the Gospels? You will be drugged before the. You'll be drugged before religious um, religious heads, and you will be drugged before the government by your own people who will who will have you executed, and will tell themselves that they're doing the right thing for doing so. That is exactly what's going on now. So remember, Donatists weren't, it's not like these Donatists were Hindus or something like that. These were people who would swear up and down that they were the one true church. And so that's exactly what we're seeing today. And the lines go pretty strictly up and down with the Novus Ordo and the and the post conciliar church, but not entirely. There are also trads who are unsound on all of these things and who would who would run off and tell the bishop that you didn't wear your mask and you didn't do the holy hand gel and this, that and the other, depending on location. So the 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 analogy here is is so tight. It's so incredibly tight right now. Mark, are you going to say something? I'm sorry. I was just going to say I'm I'm just I'm struck by the the all, all of what you just said is obviously true, but the one point in particular about the persecutors never think for a moment that they're evildoers in right. any way. Yep. They think they're the ones meeting out true justice. That's right. Never forget never forget that. Yeah. So it's not like you can you can go to these people and say, look, X, Y, Z, you're in the wrong. These people are absolutely zealous 
ideologues, but who are who are subscribing to a completely false doctrine. They've fallen into this new Masonic religion, which is what COVID is. It's it's the it's the new manifestation of Freemasonry. They have all fallen hook, line, and sinker for this. And they honestly believe that it's the one true church. And given given uh, my illustrious company here this e- today on the podcast, um, who who is their company on this, and who is ratifying in this? It's no less than the anti pope. And I'm getting ready to publish, and I'll probably publish before this even gets published, an allegorical piece explaining why the identity of the vicar of Christ is so desperately, desperately important because Bergoglio has now come out and said, oh, it's okay to get uh, to get a, uh, if I may use language, a fake ass vaccine using fetal stem cells. Oh, we all have to do this for the greater good because because of the Corona scam. Okay. And now there are there are Ecclesia Day communities that are absolutely scared. May I use language again? They're scared shitless because now they've been hamstrung because the man that they are commemorating at the altar at every mass has now ratified this evil. Why does the identity of the vicar of Christ matter? Why is it not acceptable for all of us to throw up our hands and say, oh, it doesn't matter. Popes come, popes go. This one will die and then another one will come. No, 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 no. Because if you give up effectively the left flank and you make daily public announcements that you are not going to defend the left flank, you're not going to engage the left flank, you're not even going to do reconnaissance on the left flank, and you skywrite this, guess where Satan is going to attack you relentlessly, and where, may I use language again, and where you're going to get your ass kicked up one side and back down the other, right on the left flank, exactly on the left flank, which is what is happening to us every day, because... People, most most people in the church today have said, we are absolutely not going to engage the left flank. And the allegory is, it's, it's the vicar of Christ. Who is the vicar of Christ? Who has authority? Who is saying things that have authority and who is not saying things that have authority? That's why it matters. Dismount soapbox, go. <laughs> Well, there's, there's going to be a papal mandate, or should I say an anti-papal mandate exactly. for the vaccine, yep. and there will be an appeal to double effect to dismiss the abortifacient or the the uh, the, the fetal, fact that it was made yeah. Yeah, using fetal tissue that will absolutely be explained away by double effect, and you can see it coming a mile away. It will be a mandate. And you're exactly right in saying people who who really didn't want to take a hard look or really didn't want to take a stand, boy, they're going to be they're going to be in a tough spot. They've been in a tough spot. I mean, they've been in a tough spot since he's been denying the divinity of Christ. I mean, we could go on and on. Um, but the tough spot, the the walls closing in like that scene in Star Wars in the in the in the trash compactor room. <sighs> 
good luck, man. Good luck. I mean, I don't know how you're going to talk your way out of this one. And good luck in, in continuing to say that who the vicar of Christ is doesn't really matter that much. That one just, that gets under, it doesn't get under my fingernails. That gets under my skin. That is just so completely galling. But we're getting off on a tangent. Dr. Matza, bring us back. Bring us back. Okay. Well, so uh, Augustine, you know, he, he he started out as as a sinner. I mean, uh, Ooh, I'm yeah. about to ask, I'm about to repeat a prayer that I hope no one will pray, <laughs> and that is the prayer that Augustine said when he was a young man: "Lord, grant me the gift of chastity, but not yet." Yeah, don't, 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 <laughs> don't, right. don't, no, 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 yeah. And and also, I'd like to because uh, yesterday was the feast of Saint Monica, August the twenty seventh. And um, he would not be the great saint he was if it was not for his mother, Monica. And uh, she played a big role because she prayed for him and she suffered for him. Uh, her, first of all, her husband was a pagan, so it's a mixed marriage. And uh, he was not faithful to her. And Augustine sort of took after his father and um, fell in with a, a bad crowd and used to engage in locker room talk and activity and whatnot. Then he went off to college and it got much worse. Uh, but his mother told him, Monica said, you know, I want you always never to forget to go to mass on Sunday. Uh, and he's, of course, he, he listened to his mother's advice because the church is the, everybody knows is the best place to scope out the ladies. Um, and what eventually happened is he started living with his girlfriend and they had a child out of wedlock. And then even if it, if it couldn't get in, he joined a cult. Um, he joined a group uh, called the Manichaeans. Uh, and uh, you guys familiar with Mani? Um, uh, Mani was this um, third century Iranian guy who claimed to be the paraclete. You know, when our Lord in scripture says, I'm going to send you the paraclete. Um, so he, how should I put this? Um, he started this cult called, it, it's basically like Christian um, Buddhism in, in a way. Um, uh, the, they said that the flesh, all the material world is kind of an illusion. It's the material world is evil. Uh, and so, you know, if you do screwed up things, it's not your fault. It's kind of like, um, kind of like Jessica rabbit. It's cause you're, you're drawn that way, right? You're, you're born that way. That's why you do crazy things. Uh, so for a time, St. Augustine was involved with these people. And if it wasn't for his mother, Monica praying for him, um, he might never have come out of it. Oh, it's, it's, it's totally, and it's totally to her credit, which is why she is a great saint of the church. And by the way, that must be, that must be the new calendar, right? St. Monica wasn't this week in, in the old calendar, was she? Ah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just, just making sure so our listenership doesn't, you know, go crazy. Yeah. The, the, no, this order influences are hard to, to, ooh, to, to get away from. <laughs> oh, Dr. Matza, you just shot all your credibility. No, but the thing, the, the fascinating thing to me about the, the family of St. Augustine, St. Monica, is that you mentioned that her husband was this pagan and, you know, messed around on her. And one of the things that is cited prominently isn't just St. Augustine's conversion, which she prayed for. It's her husband's conversion. Her husband converted. And I used to think, well, you know, is this, is this really a, a full-blown miracle that, you know, 
a woman would pray for her husband to convert and he converted. And then I did all of my work on diabolical narcissism. And when you read between the lines of the, the life of St. Monica and what went on, especially with regards to her husband, what, what comes jumping off the page at you when you have this kind of background context is that her husband was probably some sort of a psychopath. He was probably a diabolical narcissist and a pagan. And the reason why his conversion is cited as this miraculous proof of this woman's incredible intercession is because he was probably a diabolical narcissist whose heart was melted whose heart was melted and he converted. And if you if you talk to anyone who's had any unfortunate interactions with diabolical narcissists, for the heart of a diabolical narcissist psychopath to be melted is a greater miracle than you know, St. Philip raising, raising the, the Massimo boy back to life or anything like that. That is a greater miracle. So, yeah. Yeah, because there, there's no, we talked about infused virtues earlier, and love is also charity. Love, charity is an infused virtue. So if you have self-purgated love from your soul, there's no natural way back from that. And any good psychologist will admit that uh, what they would call uh, narcissistic personality disorder mm-hmm. is is almost incurable. incurable. Yep, exactly. The only solution is a supernatural solution to restore that love to the soul. And Saint Monica did that with her husband. Um, Saint Augustine might have just been completely deluded and misled, and and bewitched by having a concubine and all of that. You know. Um, it's not, it's, it's absolutely not implied that St. Augustine was ever a diabolical narcissist psychopath. He was just a man of the world who was bewitched by heresy. It's very, and, and he, and he lived a very carnal life that he needed it, yeah. to overcome that, that had become over the years, a, a very problematic from a habitual standpoint. And if you're, um, you know, if you're struggling to overcome, if you've if you've had a conversion, but you're struggling to overcome maybe uh, some particular favorite sins, or maybe it's just one last particular favorite sin that you're struggling with, read the confessions, my friends. Yeah, that's all I can say. Yep, absolutely, and it's it's a testament that you know we're surrounded by. <laughs> sadly, to say, I mean, almost everybody today that you pass walking down the street has some sort of an issue. And let's be honest with the sixth commandment, you know, whether it's, um, fornication, whether it's, um, self-abuse, whether it's contraception, look guys, these people are not all diabolical narcissists. And it's really important to say that you can't go through life thinking that everyone you meet is a diabolical narcissist because that simply is not the case. And St. Augustine is a proof of that. There are people who are just mired in sin, but they have not, they have not made some conscious decision. I am going to purge all love from my soul, blah, 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 blah. That is still, even in these dark days, even in these dark days, that's still a relatively rare phenomenon. Um, 
so just remember that. So remember the, the distinction between St. Augustine and probably, probably St. Augustine's father. And if I'm wrong about that, St. Augustine's father is probably in the beatific vision and he'll, he'll forgive me and he'll say, well, she's making a point that might help somebody, but I think it's almost certain that he was, uh, because he cited as a miraculous conversion. I mean, come on, that's a miraculous conversion. So I have a, an acquaintance of mine. Um, he spoke at a conference I organized back in 2012 in, in, at Rome. In Rome. Uh, his name is Francesco Arlanc. And um, he's actually the screenwriter for a, a pretty admirable uh, screen ad- adaptation of the Confessions of the Life of St. Augustine. Um, it's called Restless Heart. Uh, it has, it's been dubbed in English. So uh, that, that, that is uh, worth, a, worth a watch. And is, it on, a scene, is it on YouTube? Is it on YouTube? Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Oh, yeah, great. it's called okay. Restless, Restless Heart. And there's, a, there's one scene that's pretty, it speaks to what you were just saying. Um, Patricius, his father, is, is lying in his sickbed, deathbed. Um, and, and his Monica is, you know, tending to him. And, uh, and he says to her, you know, how is it that you, you've been able, how can you, I'm a terrible man. How do you, how do you, how, how did he phrase it? He said, I've been such a terrible man. How do you, how did you put up with me? And she says to him, you, you, you were, you still are. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, uh, but shortly after that, he, he says he wants baptism. And this is the amazing, this is the Catholicity of St. Augustine. Uh, You read the confessions and in every paragraph, there is a Catholic truth that shines through the regeneration that happens in us through baptism and the importance of, of of the seven sacraments it, it speaks very loudly. So I, I want people to know about that. But also I wanted to kind of jump into something that you guys raised when you talked about how this, you know, we're, you know, for the sake of argument that he was a, uh, that St. Augustine's father was a, a diabolical narcissist here. And it, what an incredible thing it is for somebody like that to, to be, you know, cured, to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, it speaks to St. Augustine's Catholic understanding of justification uh, which mm. goes against Martin Luther and the Reformation. So oh, yeah. uh, we, we can dive a little deeply here if you guys are willing to jump with me here. Oh, into, yeah, we're, um, we're at 53 minutes, so we are golden. And this is okay. this is huge, yeah. This is the, yeah, this is the meat of it. Because, because, the, because the anti-pope is essentially a Lutheran. And so mm-hmm. there's constantly mm-hmm. Lutheran propaganda coming out of the Vatican today. So get after it, Dr. Matza. Draw <laughs> your sword. Draw your sword. <laughs> well, here it goes, folks. Uh, yeah. So the, obviously the, the fundamental difference, the fundamental difference between a Catholic and a Protestant is that the Catholic believes that we are saved by faith and works. And I'm going to explain that. Whereas starting with Martin Luther... The, uh, the, the Protestants, the evangelicals, whatever, believe that you are saved by faith alone. Now, I'm going to explain, and this is, once you learn this, this will be great because you can share it with every non-Catholic that you know and even the Catholics that you know. All right, I'm going to give you an, ex- an exegesis on, on St. John's Gospel, chapter 14, using St. Augustine here. Okay, so let's jump into this. At the Last Supper, our Lord is talking with the apostles, and uh, Philip says to him, uh, uh, Jesus says to Philip, how can you ask me, show us the father, right? He says, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does the works. 
And I want everybody listening to remember that. Our Lord says, the Father who dwells in me does the works. And then our Lord goes on to say, and this is chapter 14, verses 2 through 14, if people want to look this up. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Now, wait a minute. What you talking about, Willis? What you talking about, uh, Willis? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, mm. we're gonna we're gonna do greater works than Christ. Now let's we gotta and this is this is word for word from Scripture here. So we gotta we gotta unpack this. So let me turn to our friend, uh, the sinner turned saint, uh, Saint Augustine. This is what he has to say about the um, about the subject. He says, "And greater works than these uh, shall he do." Then what, I ask, shall we say that one is doing greater works than all that Christ did, who is working out his own salvation with fear and trembling? Ah, yes, the fear and trembling passage, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Um, But St. Augustine is, let me try to explain what St. Augustine is explaining here. Uh, St. Augustine says, um, so again, contra- the fundamentalists here, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, what? The real truth of salvation. Wait, wait, wait! Is can this. I, can I stop you? Can Please, I stop you? Yeah. I so hate that term fundamentalists because mm. I wrote a piece in the Remnant, like in two way years ago, like in 2016, before the whole anti-papacy thing. And 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 can I can I say that? The Remnant and I, Mike, Matt, we parted on very, very friendly terms. It was just that, you know, I don't want to litigate the whole anti-papacy thing in the pages of The Remnant. That's not cool. They need to have their own editorial policy, and I'm I'm over here, and I'm independent. Mike, Matt's a good guy. Um, but I, pose, I had a, a piece in The Remnant. We'll put this in the show notes. Mark, write this down. Um, it was about the term fundamentalism. Do you want to have an architect that does not believe in the fundamentals of mathematics? You see what I'm saying? A fundamentalist is a person who believes in the base rudiments of a given paradigm or system. So to call Protestants fundamentalists, I don't like that because we're the fundamentalists. We're the ones who believe in the base rudiments of the one true faith. Protestants are the ones who are going off and saying that pi is equal to 4.3 or whatever, you know. Do do you want to do you want to cross a bridge built by one of those cats? Do you want to live in a high rise built by an engineer who believes that pi is equal to 4.3? You see what I'm saying? Right. You see what I'm it's, saying? It's, it's 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 an inversion of the term is it, what it yeah, is. Exactly. And, and and not only that, it's also a term that's being used against us. By the anti-church. Exactly. How dare you? How dare you believe what you actually believe? How dare you believe in the in the fundamentals of the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith? How dare you? See how dare you believe that that any of the commandments are anything more than ideals that we're not capable of living by. Exactly. Oh, who said that? Who said that? Who said that in a document that he swears up and down is magisterial? Hmm. You guys hmm. are being rigid. 
rigid. Wait, what does what does Father Z say? Donatists. No, no, rigid, rigid, ossified manualists. Re-ossified, I love that word, you know, bones that have become hardened or whatever. That's a Father Z term, rigid, ossified mm-hmm. manualists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Mm. Okay. Well, it's important to call things by their proper names. Yes, um, yes. So uh, our separated brothers and sisters mm-hmm. are... Um, <laughs> the protesters, <laughs> the protesters, yes. They, they're, they, they're misinformed on this because Martin Luther said that the Bible is it's crystal clear. You just pick it up. It, there's no mystery about it. You just read it, and it's it's totally self-evident. <laughs> and, <laughs> but but Saint Peter, on the other hand, says, you know, there's some stuff in Paul that the ignorant they twist to their own destruction. So no, so anyway. <laughs> no. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> so um, so we're talking about uh, uh, Saint John chapter 14, where our Lord is saying that um, that if we believe in Him, we we will do greater works than He did. And so St. Augustine is wondering about this. And, and he says, well, perhaps our Lord is talking about when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, a work which Christ is certainly working in him, but not without him. This is the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. In Protestantism, it is Christ working in him, and that's it. But in Catholicism, it's Christ working in him, but not without him. And and St. Augustine continues, and one which I might without hesitation call greater than the heavens and the earth Mm. and all in both within the and, and, and all in both within the compass of our vision for both heaven and earth shall pass away. But the salvation and justification of those predestined thereto, yep. that is, of those whom he foreknew, shall continue forever. Mm-hmm. And we can, even, we can even throw some Calvin in here because of the predestination line there. There's a Catholic understanding of predestination, which is totally different from what John Calvin talked about. Absolutely, so, yep. Um, so Augustine um, continues here, and he goes on to explain how, um, you know, like basically when God made heaven and earth that was the work of god alone uh but in the justification of of men um let me just i want to make this as clear as possible um so i jump down here to augustine and he says here uh which are all of them the work of christ and is it then greater works also than these that he does who with christ working in him and here's the, the money line is a co-worker mm. in his own eternal salvation and justification. Mm-hmm. We'll never hear that from a Lutheran, uh, from a Calvinist, from yep. a Baptist, you name it, Church of God down the street. <laughs> You'll never hear that expression, a co-worker in his own eternal salvation and justification. But where, where is it Augustine getting this from? He's getting it from our Lord and Savior in his, his discourse at the Last Supper. Um, yep. And Augustine finishes by saying, And it is assuredly something less to preach the words of righteousness, which Jesus did apart from us, than to justify the ungodly, which he does in such a way in us that we are also doing it ourselves. So that's the Catholic understanding of justification right right there in a nutshell. And I'm I'm so struck by... um basically every time I have the opportunity to have any sort of an extended conversation with a priest or a seminarian, I try to bring up the point 
and this kind of speaks to the to the citation that you just quoted that in terms of we will do um the quote that that we will actually do works that are that were greater than Christ while he was on earth okay think about every priest that you know every time a priest in the confessional absolves mortal sin that act that individual act of bringing that human being back to life from the dead which is which is even even more than our lord bringing lazarus back to life from the dead bringing a human being bringing their dead soul back to life from the dead is a greater act than the creation of the universe now stop and think about that stop and think about every priest that you know does he hear confessions how many mortal sins has he absolved how many creations of the universe and more does that constitute so every time i get to i get to have the pleasure of you know uh, taking a priest or a seminarian to dinner i i try to make that point the aside from the offering of the holy and august sacrifice of the mass one of the most just unspeakably amazing things you can do is go sit in the box Every time you absolve someone of mortal sin, it is a greater act than the creation of the universe. And so if you go sit in the box and nobody comes that day, oh well, you prayed your breathe, didn't you? And, but you'll be there. You'll be there when that next person comes. And what an incredible act that is. So that's kind of putting to context a little bit. And again, Protestants listening to this might be put off by that. How possibly could... A human being do more than Christ. Well, you know, Christ brought Lazarus and and um, the the lad back to life. He brought he brought several people back to life. You know, a Catholic priest could conceivably bring more people back to life from the dead than Christ did in his entire earthly ministry. And that that's no. This is in no way um, minimizing the divinity, the divinity, the divinity of our Lord. Because really, who's acting through the confessional? Of course, it's our Lord. But the priest is the conduit of that. To understand the gravity of that and how human beings are co-workers and co-operators in all of this. First, the penitent has to be penitent. Then there has to be a priest to give the sacramental absolution, and our Lord is working through both people simultaneously, and the Holy Ghost is working through both people simultaneously. It's just, I mean, it's it's just beyond words. The the way I've always thought about it, and this is at a somewhat different level than than what you were just saying, Anne. But if you think about uh, Christ and his actions corporeal actions while he was here on earth in a sense in a sense since he is god there there is almost less of a miraculous i mean it is miraculous lazarus of course but he's god he can do anything right now now put that over here for a minute and Mm -hmm. then think about god it is god's will to send us divine grace and that we work out our salvation by cooperating, mm-hmm. us fallen creatures cooperating with that divine grace to work out our salvation. The fact that we as fallen creatures are invited and expected 
to operate in that manner yep. is on a certain level that is more miraculous. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and we can now circle back to the heresy of Donatism. Guys, it doesn't matter if the priest in the box is in a state of unrepentant mortal sin. I mean, sit, just sit in stillness with that. That's how much God loves us. That is how much he loves us. It doesn't matter one lick I mean, obviously, we all want our priests to be holy and not in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, but it doesn't matter one lick if that priest is in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, if that dude is validly ordained and he and you are sorry for your sins and you say you say the act of contrition and he gives you the valid words of absolution, it is done. You don't have to worry about the priest. You don't have to worry about the priest in the box. You don't have to worry about the priest on the altar. And how much of a testimony is it to the infinite love of our Lord for every one of us that he will condescend not just to enter into working through human beings who are in a state of grace. Our Lord will condescend to operating through humans who are perhaps in a state of unrepentant mortal sin both on the altar and in the box so that we can be with him and so he can be with us and probably more importantly so that he can be with us again sit in stillness with that and think about that he comes and he comes to us in the confessional and he comes to us on the altar because he wants to be with us infinity infinity beyond infinity because infinity is 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 basically something that applies to this universe we're talking about god who is completely outside of the universe he he loves us so much that he will condescend to coming through some some priest who is just doing unspeakable things and isn't sorry for them but as long as long as everything's squared away and valid it's done. You know, I, I, there's a great story that fits right into what you're saying. Um, you know, St. Augustine, obviously, he wrote on all these different biblical, biblical topics of faith. And one of the topics was the Trinity. And he was really trying to understand and meditating on the Holy Trinity. And the story goes that um, he decided to take a break and he was l- walking along the sea. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he meets this little kid who uh, he's got his little bucket. And um, instead of making sandcastles, he's doing something different. He's going to the he's going into the ocean and he's filling up his bucket and then he's dumping the bucket on the sand, the water on the sand. Well, into and a hole. It, he's dug a hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this, this, this puzzled St. Augustine and, and he went over and he's like, uh, son, what do you think you're doing? And he says, I'm, I'm going to take the ocean and I'm going to pour it into this hole here. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and Augustine says, you know, I don't want to burst your bubble, kid, but maybe he didn't say it that way. But he mm. said, you know, uh, how do you propose? The, the ocean is vast. It's enormous. You can't take the ocean and pour it into your little hole in the sand here with your little bucket. Uh, and the kid says, kind of like, na 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 na. Well, what about, what about you? You're, you're, you're trying to encapsulate God, the Holy Trinity, and you want to put it in your little head. <laughs> Yep. Uh, yep. And he was he was humbled by that. <laughs> well, it's one of those moments where you know the the hairs stand up on your arm, and you realize that the little kid was probably either angelic or supernatural. It was our Lord mm-hmm. speaking to him. You know, um, it wasn't that little kid. That it, it wasn't some. It wasn't some little 
random Roman kid on the beach who said that. That was a preternatural slash supernatural experience that St. Augustine had. Yeah. And, and it also it echoes something that happened in the confessions where, you know, St. Augustine, again, he had been living with his girlfriend and he was given over to these sins of lust. And then he, he broke with her. And um, because she was from a different social class, he couldn't marry her. And so his mother, Monica, had had him betrothed to another uh, woman. But um, St. Augustine actually had to wait until she was of marriageable age before they could, you know, get married. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately for Augustine, you know, he couldn't stay celibate for too long. So he, he took up another mistress. Mm. Um, and, and he was just, um, you know, disgusted with himself, but unwilling to give up. And he got paid a visit, an unexpected visit by these, this guy who used to work in special branch, kind of like James Bond or the Secret Service. Mm -hmm. And he, he talks about this in the confessions. And he says that this guy visited, you know, uh, visited us. Uh, he was living with a roommate. And um, he noticed that he had on his table, that Augustine had on his table, um, a, a biography of uh, St. Anthony. Now, not St. Anthony of Padua, but St. Anthony of the Desert in Egypt. St. Anthony um, Abbott? Yes, exactly. Ooh, and so that's this, way this, back. Yeah. 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 So this ex, um, you know, ex uh, Secret Service guy who used to work in the company of the emperor begins to explain how he himself was converted to his Catholic faith by learning the story of Anthony mm -hmm. the, of the desert. Yeah. And basically, in, in a nutshell, Anthony was an orphan, but a very wealthy orphan. And he gave up all his wealth uh, because he heard the priest at mass say, the passage from the gospel where our Lord says, you know, give everything to the poor and come follow me. And by doing that, he went into the Egyptian desert and basically became a, a hermit. Uh, and I, I, I usually use an, an analogy when I teach this in my classes is you have to kind of think of St. Anthony, like Obi-Wan Kenobi living out in the desert, you know, uh, and instead of using the force, he's, he's fighting demons. Uh, he's praying, he's fasting. And then word gets out that he's out there in the desert. And mm -hmm. so what happens? Young men begin to flock to him, mm -hmm. you know, like like Luke wants to learn the ways of the force. So he goes out and finds old old Ben Kenobi. Um, and then but the problem is, once you have a group of people following you, you're no longer a hermit anymore. <laughs> and so this is sort of the beginnings of monasticism. And, and so Augustine is hearing this and it blows him away that here is Anthony, who lived to the ripe old age of like 100 and, and was celibate his whole life. And here's Augustine can't be celibate for an hour. <laughs> right, yeah, you know? yeah. And, 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 uh, and he goes into the garden and he, and he, he begins to weep. And, and, and then he hears these, again, these little kids playing next door, or at least what he thinks is little kids playing next door. Only they're playing a game he's never heard of before. They keep in this like sing song way. They're saying, tole lege, tole lege, tole lege, which in Latin means take it up and read. And he's like, wait, I never played a game like that when I was a kid. What kind of, and then he notices on the table in front of him are the letters of Paul, you know, letter, uh, the epistles of St. Paul. And he opens it up and the first page that he finds, he puts his finger on, you know, the first passage that he opens it to at random and it lands on Romans. I forget what chapter, but the, the verse that says, uh, not in uh, drunkenness and sexual orgies, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Mm -hmm. And he was floored. I mean, he just totally lost it. And he was infused with grace from our Lord. 
and he gave himself over to Christ. And that was the moment of his conversion. That was the moment of his, of his transformation. Um, and he was totally, you know, redeemed by grace there and, and free will, obviously, that he accepted our Lord. And, and St. Monica was able to, to die a happy woman yes. <laughs> uh, after that. <laughs> but um, Both of her boys, both of her boys converted. Yep. And then another thing is that the influ- uh, people don't, uh, well, we'll, again, we'll learn about this in the Maza class, um, is that St. Ambrose was an influence on St. Augustine, because St. Augustine mm-hmm. at that time was living in, uh, in, in, in uh, Milan, which uh, was sort of a, uh, sort of the imperial capital at that, at that time. And mm-hmm. Ambrose was just this wonderful figure, uh, you know, brave and, and powerful, and defended the church against the state, defended the church against heretics. And he was the most eloquent speaker in the Roman Empire. And so Augustine, who was an eloquent speaker himself, wanted to learn the craft. So he would go to the church and go to the cathedral of Milan, and he would listen to Ambrose at first just you know, for rhetorical reasons. But again, over time, that was one of the influences, uh, along with the, uh, with the visit of this guy who came to visit him, and, and obviously more than anything, his, his mother's prayers for him, that, that ultimately worked together. And he received baptism from uh, St. Ambrose. Um, and it was just a, a remarkable meeting of two saints there. And guys, St. Ambrose was such a big deal and is so hardcore that to this day he has his own right. It's called the Ambrosian Rite. And it still exists, barely. It's hanging on by a thread. There's only like, I think there's only a half a dozen or maybe even less than a half a dozen priests who who celebrate the Ambrosian Rite? It looks and it's it's the rite of Milan. It's the rite of the Archdiocese of Milan. It looks a lot like the Roman Rite, except it's it's longer and more florid. So if you have any um, familiarity at all with the Byzantine Rite, with the Rite of Saint John Chrysostom, or anything like that, with the repetitions and so forth, it's it's kind of what I would describe as a fusion between the Roman Rite and the Byzantine Rite, except it's in Latin. Um, it looks a lot more like the Roman Rite, just like I said, more florid. Look it up on YouTube. Um, there's Ambrosian Rite stuff on YouTube. There's not much of it left, but it will survive. I'm confident that it will survive. But that's how big of a deal St. Ambrose was, that he he has his own rite. He has his own rite of the church named after him. Yeah, he's he's a, a one of the four doctors, the four Latin yeah. doctors of the church, uh, and is the four uh, Eastern doctors of the church. And another, th- you know, again, the thing about these great saints is that they were thoroughly, thoroughly Catholic. Um, uh, take, for example, uh, what St. Augustine and St. Ambrose have to say about our Blessed Lady uh, and the fact that she was sinless. Okay, so the, the dogma was, um, you know, defined in um, uh, 1854, right, by, um, by, the, by the papacy and then confirmed by our lady's visit to, to Lourdes yes. in 1858. Yep. Uh, but it, it's always been there implicitly. And, yes. and from time to time, Catholic saints have, have, have uttered it aloud. So let me give you a quick quote here from um, St. Augustine about our blessed lady. He says, um, having accepted the Holy Virgin Mary concerning whom on account of the honor of the Lord, I wish to have absolutely no question when treating of sins. Um, For how do we know what abundance of grace for the total overcoming of sin was conferred upon her, 
who merited to conceive and bear in him, uh, to bear him in whom there was no sin. So I say, with the exception of the Virgin, if we could have, if we could have gathered together all those holy men and women when they were living here, and had asked them whether they were without sin, what do we suppose would have been their answer? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Saint with, Ambrose, with the exception <laughs> of the Virgin, with the exactly. exception, I mean, that's it right there, and that's that's exactly what the Church teaches. She is alone in this. Even even John the Baptist was conceived with the mm-hmm. stain of original sin, but that sin was removed at the visitation by our our cute little fetal Lord inside of Our Lady's womb. Yes. <laughs> And St. Ambrose just adds to that. He says, Mary, a virgin, not only undefiled, but a virgin whom grace has made inviolate, free of every stain of sin. Uh, there you go. There you yep. go. Yep. <sighs> it's really, uh, if you have friends that are uh, thinking about converting, which is in itself a miracle at this point uh, to the true church, but uh, early church fathers, any questions of Protestants uh, or, or declarations of, of anything in terms of denying the Eucharist or uh, immaculate uh, conception, imma- yeah, all, yeah. all of it. Yep. The church fa- direct them back to the church fathers. How could how could that be nefarious, right? Direct them to the church fathers, and they will read how it was unanimous on every point of Catholic doctrine in the very first centuries of the church. It's undeniable. And here's what's so weird, and Dr. Matza, maybe you can um, shed some light on this. I've known Protestants who have gone and gotten MDivs at Protestant, you know, theological schools. They're all huge fans of Augustine, and I cannot comprehend mm-hmm. that. And by the way, they all mis—they all mispronounce his name as Augustine. Um, you know, th- th- this ain't a city in Florida, y'all. I mean, his his name is Augustine. Um, um, but it's so weird to me. How can you read Augustine? And not be totally Catholic. And yet the Protestants, he's like their number one go-to guy to cite before Luther is Augustine. And it just kind of blows my mind. Do you have, do you have any insight yeah. on that? Or I do, as a matter of fact, by the grace of God. <laughs> uh, yes, well, not only did he have to deal with Manichaeans and Donatists, but he also had to deal with Pelagians. Mm. Uh, so let me tell you about Pelagius. Pro, Pelagius. Pro, Proto-Lutherans? <laughs> Proto-Lutherans? Is that what we call them? Well, it, they're actually the opposite, these Pelagians. And I'll, I'll tie this all together with a ribbon in a second. Okay. Uh, and by the way, this is, again, one of uh, Papa Francesco's, Bergoglio's favorite uh, words. You're a Pelagian. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, what, who's, what's a Pelagian? So a P- Pelagius is actually the earliest British author that we have on record. Um, and, and unfortunately he fell into an error and his error was to think that Adam and Eve don't transmit to us original sin, uh, you know, metaphysically, biologically, they merely gave us a bad example. Uh, Pelagius was of the opinion that we could kind of pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, uh, which by the way, I think AOC said we, is impossible to do. So if she says it's impossible to do any, okay. <laughs> only kidding. Can I jump in? I mean, speaking of Adam and Eve, 
basically almost everybody denies they even exist personally. So that, does mm. that kind of feed into, into Pelagianism? If you deny that Adam and Eve even existed as people, doesn't that just mm. kind of go straight into, well, you know, this is just the quote unquote nebulous bad example. Yeah. Have, yeah, you, have you asked mm-hmm. Bishop Barron? <laughs> uh, there, there's other there's cardinals who have denied that they existed as, as human uh, beings yeah unfortunately i think i even saw a video once of of a, a, a man who's otherwise good in many respects cardinal pell yeah, actually on tv once Is that's, that you that's who i was referencing yeah, yeah he, he did exactly. a debate with who's that who's mm-hmm. that uh that atheist the darwinist guy Oh, I can't remember his right. name. He did um, a televised debate, and I'm hey, sorry. Dawkins. Dawkins, yes, and yeah. Cardinal Pell. I mean, Dawkins ate his lunch because Cardinal Pell denied the personal existence of Adam and Eve, and then Dawkins said, "Well, that just shoots to hell your entire theory of original sin, doesn't it?" Crickets chirping, crickets chirping. Yeah, this is what yeah. happens when you, when you don't follow Pope Pius the Twelfth's encyclical Humani Generis yep. from 1951. Is it or 52 or? Anyway, um, so yeah, so Pelagius basically said that we can save ourselves, and Augustine knew that was a joke. I mean, what are you smoking, man? Um, (laughs) Augustine knew from personal experience, you can't save yourself. You need, the grace of God is the initial spark that you need. Um, So uh, so that's maybe why the, uh, because he's the doctor of grace, that's maybe why the the, the, classical Protestant scholars are so enamored of Augustine, but again, it, 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 like you were saying, Ian, if you read these quotations, I'll give you an example. All right, here is a quintessential example of Martin Luther. It sums up, it sums up Protestant theology in one paragraph. Wait, is this going to be the- is this going to be pornographic? Because some of his stuff is pornographic. Oh, no. Okay, all right, no, okay, all right, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> proceed, proceed in safety. Okay. We, 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 I, I, my, I. I It'll be our our course will be PG thirteen for those that are interested to know. I, I'm never going to stray further than that. Okay, good. Um, okay, Babylonian captivity captivity of the church. Um, see how rich, therefore, is a Christian, the one who is baptized, even if he wants to, he cannot lose his salvation, oh however gosh. much he sin. Mm. I'm thinking of having a T-shirt made, you know, sin and sin boldly. <laughs> Well, don't because people believe that. Oh my god! I know it's terrible. It's terrible. Oh my god! Uh, all right, let me continue. So uh, he cannot lose his salvation, however much he sin, unless he will not believe. For no sin can condemn him except unbelief alone. So basically, you have to go become a Muslim or something or a Buddhist in order to go to hell for for, for Luther. All other sins, so long as the faith in God's promise made in baptism returns or remains, all other sins, I say, are immediately blotted out through that same faith or rather through the truth of God because he cannot deny himself. So that's where Luther is coming from. Psychopath psychopathy, (laughs) psychopathy. As long as you believe in me and then, you know, scourge me, nail me to the cross with full assent of the will. You believe in me, but you still do these things anyway. Uh, that's, that's psychopathy. That's it is. Psychopathy. It's, 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 it's incomprehensible to think that contrition is not only optional, but just completely not in the equation. Yeah, in fact, he, he, Luther railed against contrition. If your conscience bothers you, then then you're out you if your conscience tells you not to do something you should do it L- luther literally said that i mean uh, 
the, the, the irrationality and the illogic of it, it's a testimony to um, spiritual blindness, diabolical disorientation, that people like Luther, who are engaging in horrible sins, will buy into absolutely any argument that tells them it's okay. And remember, Luther was a was an Augustinian priest monk who was fornicating with a nun with a nun. So we've got double sacrilegious fornication going on here. Any any argument that these people can make up no matter how irrational, no matter how illogical, no matter how little sense it makes go with it go with it as long as it tells me it's okay for me to have sex with my nun girlfriend i mean i mean i'm i'm dropping the pen right now i mean mm. i'll take double yeah. I'll, I'll take uh, double sacrilegious fornication for 500 who <laughs> 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 uh, uh thomas williams and liz lev no i'm sorry that was a low blow that was a low blow that was a low blow well, so, the, uh, I mean, the, the central point here, I want, I want to make sure we get back to you because we are sort of running out of time, is is grace and the the yeah. the, the, the role of grace in in the, the the will of God and our sanctification and redemption uh, and ultimately salvation and the cooperation with that grace and and it, you know how it really works both ways. You talked about Augustine's. Uh, uh, Conversion, which for anyone out there who doesn't understand, conversion isn't the end of the uh, the, the the story for anyone. It's the beginning of the story for everyone. Mm-hmm. So understand that well. But grace works both ways. If we are in a state of mortal sin, the grace is always being offered to you. To you can't you can't drag yourself out of it. You have to cooperate with that grace to to have a proper conversion and to properly orient. You know, we keep talking about order. Properly orient your 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 mind, uh, and if you're in a state of grace, you're constantly provided with additional grace to re- resist the temptations that 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 come your way, so you can stay in a mm-hmm. state of grace. Now, wait a minute, Doctor Matza, do you have any talking points on free will at all? I, I do. Here's, so here's the, <laughs> that was a rhetorical question, dude. <laughs> Go ahead. Is, I, I didn't know the gullibles in the dictionary. Um, so <laughs> here's here's the money quote from from Augustine in answer to Luther, and, and this is the surprising thing: there was there was actually people believing what Luther believed, walking around at the time of Augustine, over a thousand years earlier. Mm, Listen, mm. Augustine nails it here. He says, "Quote." Unintelligent persons, however, <laughs> with, with regard, we'll have to change that for, anyway, uh, with regard to the Apostle Paul's statement, quote, right, so, so basically Augustine gives uh, Paul in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, quote, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the works of the law. Now, Augustine is going to explain that unintelligent people misinterpret this, have thought Paul to mean that faith suffices to a man even if he lead a bad life and has no good works, right? Sin and sin boldly, but believe more boldly still. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Augustine continues, it is impossible that such a person should be deemed a vessel of election by the apostle, uh, you know, someone who would, would just say, I have faith and I'm going to just do whatever I want. No. And what Augustine says here is, after declaring that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 adds at once, but faith which works by love. Mm -hmm. It is such faith which severs God's faithful from unclean demons. Mm -hmm. For even these believe and tremble. Right? Uh, James chapter 2, verse 19, as the Apostle James says, that the demons have faith, but they don't do it well. That Therefore, they possess not the faith. Augustine says, therefore, they possess not the faith by which the just man lives, the faith which works by love in such a way that God rewards it according to its works with eternal life. That is the Catholic explanation of grace and free will. In fact, that's the title of the where I'm getting this from, St. Augustine on grace and free will. Um, so yeah, for Catholics, we understand faith as faith which works. Right, exactly. Galatians I, chapter I, 5, verse 6. I love you bringing up the whole point that demons have faith. Just stop and think about that, any Protestants who are out there listening. Do you do you suppose that demons have a deeper, more um, thorough belief in the supernatural reality than you do? Of course they do. They all they all have a complete belief in the supernatural reality of the triune Godhead. Of course they do. Do you? Can you say that? Can you honestly say that as a human being walking around this in this world that you have a totally complete flawless belief in in the in the reality of the triune godhead every demon has a belief that is probably greater than yours what's the difference what's the difference love it's almost not even it's not it's almost not even faith for the demons because they've they've literally seen the truth well, they've not seen the beatific vision, but they have, they had maximum, maximum intellectual knowledge. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. The, oh, they know. They know. <laughs> and they, tr and they tremble and they obey. They obey our Lord. They obey our lady. They obey, they, they obey bishop and bishop and priest exorcists. They have to because of that imputed authority. Um, they, they know they believe and they, and they obey. The difference is, is they are completely and totally devoid of charity by definition. And so what is the result of that? This, this unquenchable spite and hatred of everyone and everything, including themselves. Yep. And the, and the good deeds that, that we do by, by working with grace, all of our, basically a obeying the word of God, which is how we love him back mm -hmm. for all this infinite love that he's sending our way. We love him back by, uh, by ordering our lives the way he has everything that he has permitted and everything that he has forbidden is for our own good. And the sooner that we learn that and start conducting our lives in that way as a means of loving him back, that is literally the, the, the personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you might hear the Protestants talk about. That's right. Don't break his heart. When you sin, even if it's something that's completely self-destructive to you, like self-abuse, when you sin, you break his heart. Just as a parent seeing their child um, descend into drug use or something like that. The child isn't physically harming the parent by doing heroin or whatever. They're breaking their parent's heart. He gave us the law to basically tell us, please don't hurt me. 
I love you infinitely. Please don't break my heart. Here's how not to do that. Think about the law that yeah. way. It's not some arbitrary, yeah. you know, do these random things because I just mm-hmm. said so. But no, please don't break my heart because I love you more than you can possibly imagine. And when I see you doing these things, that even things that harm only yourself, sins of gluttony, sins of uh, sins of self-abuse, et cetera, et cetera, anything like that, anything and everything. And when you hurt each other, I mean, needless to say, you are just, you are ripping out my heart, literally. That's why his sacred heart literally burst, literally burst as he died for our sins on the cross. The moral law is more real than the laws of physics or geometry or anything else that you can think of. Yep. Yep. You know, St. Augustine has a great, he has so many great lines, but this really speaks to what you two were just talking about. Listen to what he says here. He says, can it be wrong at any time or place to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, That's from Matthew chapter 22. Therefore, therefore, shameful acts which are contrary to nature, Mm -hmm. such as homosexual acts of the sodomites, are everywhere and always to be detested and punished. Yep. Even if all peoples should do them, they would be liable to the same condemnation by divine law. Mm-hmm. For it has not made men to use one another in this way. Indeed, and here's the key line, the social bond which should exist between God and us is violated mm-hmm. when the nature of which he is the author is polluted by a perversion of sexual desire. You're breaking his heart. You're ripping apart the the fabric of what he made things to be. Yeah. And you know what the sick irony of it is? When they say it's love, when they call it love, that is one of the greatest... I mean, perversion isn't even the right word. I have to think of a word that's even stronger than that. It's one of... it's, It's just... It's so detestable when sodomites characterize what they do as love because because it is so utterly contrary to that. It is it's it's a mockery. Go ahead. Or Catholics who contracept. Listen to what Saint Augustine says. He says they they those who do this, although they are called husband and wife, are not. Oh man. Nor do they nor do they retain any reality of marriage. But listen to what he says. They, but with a respectable name, they cover a shame. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes this lustful cruelty or cruel lust comes to this: that they even procure poisons of sterility, mm-hmm. right? Abortifacients oh, or contraceptives. Okay. Assuredly, if both husband and wife are like this, they are not married. And if they were like this from the beginning, they come together not joined in matrimony but in seduction. So Augustine was not afraid to call the truth, to tell the plain truth to people, to save them from hell. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to think how many people are doing this. And you know what's even more terrifying is to think about how many people have been told by their priest in the form of the confessional to do it. And that is called the sin of um, when a priest um, incites somebody to commit a solicitation 
Oh mm. my gosh. The what what awaits those priests if they die unrepentant of that? Oh my goodness. It isn't just priests telling, you know, the 14-year-old boy that it's okay to self-abuse or whatever. And believe me, that is incredibly common. I th- I suspect it's what's even more common that is the priests throughout ever since the pill was introduced in the 70s, 80s, 90s who said, "Oh yeah, that's that's not a sin. Romans wrong. Go ahead." That is the mortal sin of solicitation on the head of that priest. And if he doesn't repent of that before he dies, oh boy, oh boy, is that grave. The net effect of contraception is, now it's, it's a sin that still goes with nature. So I, I'm not saying that uh, it's a species of, um, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say what I was going to say. It is closer to an act of sodomy or self-abuse mm-hmm. than it is than it is to the marital act. Yeah. Even if it's 100% from external heterosexual. heterosexual from external physical appearances exactly the same, it is it is so perverse in that sense that yeah, it's it's a species of sodomy and it's not surprising that with the sodomite infiltration of the church and the priesthood, who was it? out of spite, out of spite oftentimes, was, t- was telling people, go ahead and do it, because their mindset was, okay, God, if you're going to damn me to hell for being a sodomite, you know what? You're going to have to damn all these people to hell, too, for engaging in, contra- in contracepted um, um, heterosexual sex. It's that, it's that spite. Go ahead. Don't, don't think these people don't, don't know it, even if they don't make the the take the the linear progression and the rational thought process to to understand uh, that literally it's 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 almost the same thing in practice. Mm-hmm. But that is contracep- contraception is the cause of not only the acceptance of abortion but sodomy. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yep. Absolutely. That that's why you're seeing what you're ha- and it and it echoes back to. Luther and what we were talking about a little while ago, but the acceptance, they're going to embrace the the whole sodomite movement because it legitimizes their own actions. Exactly. And in fact, they'll say, well, in their minds, even if they don't say it aloud, they say, well, you know, they do say it aloud. I have heard Protestants say, for example, their children, their children are heterosexually fornicating. And I've heard Protestants say, well, at least my boy isn't a faggot. Well, but it's still mortal sin. And you would be shocked, you will be shocked to learn at your particular judgment that our Lord holds these things to be very close and direct and and connected and and directly connected. One could even say that contracepted um, heterosexual vaginal sex is a species of sodomy. One, one could one could make that argument. I mean, everything else that a heterosexual could possibly do is a species of sodomy outside of vaginal sex. Um, why why can't it also be said if you're just using the other person and this goes both ways male to female and female to male if you're just using the other person as a vector of friction for self-abuse how how is that not a species of sodomy Uh, spiritually you know conceptually 
I would argue that it, it should be put under the same category, and, and Scripture calls it the sin of onanism, um, which, you know, Genesis chapter, it's pretty early, nine, it's, it's, it falls under the category of spilling the seed. Um, you know, what, what are you doing? If you're just using another person for, for friction, I mean, come on, that's, that's mortally sinful. Aquinas famously wrote that on the level of sexual sin, just considering the level of sexual sin, heterosexual rape is a lesser offense than sodomy. Now, rape ends up being holistically a greater sin because uh, of the measure of violence. Mm-hmm. And added, to, added together, it's, a, it's the greater sin. But purely on the sexual level, yeah. heterose- uh, heterosexual rape is less of an offense because it actually goes with nature if you detach the the violent aspect from it now just let let's make sure everybody understands when you add the lack of consent and the violence to that those components put together make it worse correct but but the the physical act in and of itself if you if you separate that from anything else the physical act is more ordered towards nature obviously obviously so just to make sure that there aren't i mean you know you know how the internet is i mean we're all you know barnhart podcast ratifies rape or something like that right right <laughs> and well, that was what, that, go, go ahead dr matza no but i was going to say what, what's lost in all of this is is what augustine was trying to say here is that we violate the relationship between god and the human race, and nobody thinks of it that way. I mean, apart from what it does, how it hurts, the sinner hurts himself when he sins, right? But apart from that, you're, as you said earlier, you're breaking God's heart, and you're violating that social relationship, that social bond which should exist between God and, 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 and human beings. And if I could take this back to, you know, where we started with uh, that movie Signs, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, so Mel Gibson, he loses his faith in God because his, his wife was taken from him. He's upset with God because his son has asthma and, and, and you know, could, could possibly die. And, um, you know, should I do spoiler alert and, and give people the ending here? I or, think or, everybody's uh, seen it. Almost everyone's okay. seen it, yeah. All right. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, at the end of the movie, <clears throat> it's because his son had asthma. That uh, the, that the alien was unable to kill him with poison gas, mm-hmm. and 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 Mel Gibson realizes, and this is like an Augustine moment here. We're so preoccupied with our own perspective, we're so preoccupied with the way we want things to go in our life, that we totally miss the boat. That God has allowed certain evils to happen to us, that a greater good might come from it. Um, yes, and, and and before his wife died. You know, she gave, actually gave him instructions on how to save their situation. Yeah. She said, you know, uh, so, yeah. And the, li- the little daughter is OCD and will not drink any water that isn't completely <laughs> fresh. And the way that you kill the aliens is with water. You just have to splash them. With- so the whole house is completely filled with with unconsumed glasses of water. I mean, and the, the little girl being OCD, that's not, that's not nearly the same thing as the boy having asthma. But absolutely everything has been driving towards this moment of saving these people from these space aliens and oh just just want to say don't believe in space aliens if if right. anything that is is attributed as space aliens exists they're demons so you know we're making right. that clear yeah 
So we're at an hour and 45. I think, uh, Dr. Matza, we're probably like a quarter of the way through your notes. I think you should draw a big, <laughs> a big line, draw a big, heavy line. And okay. we're, we'll, we will, I don't know. I, want, I don't want to give your entire school away, though. But this was <laughs> so good. I want to do another one of these. So You got it. All right. Draw a big line, and we'll do another one. And Mark, do you happen to have our, our happy collect pulled up in front of you i uh, i do i was going to read the close first and Absolutely. then go to the collect I and can then do... go to the collect okay um and maybe the next time we can talk about i see dead people too okay another m <laughs> another night. m night Shyamalan. You, yeah you, doctor you you opened up the philadelphia can of worms and i'm going to exploit <laughs> it to the best of my ability okay all right unbreakable uh, the email address there you go the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback comments suggestions uh, or anything related to the happy news of Dr. Matza's uh, classes that everyone will be signing up for. Mm-hmm. And we will put links in the show notes and everything that you need to know. Anyway, the, the feedback email is podcast at barnhart.biz and expresses her profound gratitude mm. to her benefactors at least one mass every single day, mm-hmm. plus one traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass for everyone who died in the previous week. Please take a moment to join your prayer intentions with those of the priests celebrating these masses, and please pray for all of these priests and for all priests. Uh, without the priests, the sacraments wouldn't be possible, and Satan knows and appreciates this more than we do, uh, which is why he savages priests so aggressively. So please pray for these and all priests, and say a prayer of thanksgiving for uh whatever sacraments that you do have access to right now, and please make use of them. Amen. Amen. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. Uh, If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, and he is the one who puts this all together, it's not easy when there are three of us in three different locations, and he has to mix this whole hour and 45 minutes. It takes him several hours to do that. So uh, please visit supernerdmedia.com to learn more about how to donate. And now let me work my way over to the Matthew 17, 20 collect in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, the sovereign of all things, who gave the keys of the kingdom to your servant Peter and his validly elected successors, grant we beseech thee that your church here on earth be quickly cleansed of the modernist infiltration, all immoral clerics, and all other corruption, that the antipope, Jorge Mario Borgoglio's invalid election be publicly recognized and completely nullified before the death of your servant, Pope Benedict XVI, that Borgoglio repent, return to the one holy Catholic faith, and that in the fullness of your time, die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, until next time, thank you, Doctor. We'll schedule another one straight away. This is Mark. Stay frosty, my friends. And this is Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. God bless.